Welcome to the program that keeps you up to date with your Houston Texans. John McClain is with us tonight. We also have some best of Bill O'Brien, the extra questions, the lanyap questions in our final segment tonight. But let's start out with the general from the Houston Chronicle. And, John, a lot of momentum for this team. Six games in a row, six and three on the season, first place in the AFC South. It's quiet around here because so many people have taken off this week. Bill O'Brien's given the players Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. They deserve it, winning six games in a row. Uh, they've been getting a lot of uh, victory Mondays off, which is good for them, great motivation. And I got to tell you, Mark, seeing this team win, blow out like Dolphins, go to Jacksonville, win by 13 against a defense that's still got all its components, and then escaping Denver. I've seen so many games, you know, the Texans – and the Oilers had lost there on late plays like that. And and I thought, sure, McManus was going to make the field goal. He's got the leg. He's used to kicking in the altitude. And then he gets the little high snap and he misses. I couldn't believe it. And I know you've been told this. You were making a call, of course, in the booth. But being down there on the field when he missed, and I described it as the players were like roaches with the lights coming on, just sprinting as fast as they could. And uh, toward the and the guys coming off the bench toward the field goal unit, and they were just so happy. And people are saying, "Well, why are they happy? They just beat the Broncos." Well, they just won six in a row. They just pulled out a game they very well could have lost, and and they knew the bye week was coming. You don't have any serious injuries coming out of the bye week. You're going to be in the best physical condition since the start of the season. Get some players back, and so I think the euphoria of of all of that. And especially after the 03 start, every player remembers the 03 start. Bill O'Brien always says, don't look ahead. But you never hear him say, don't look back. And looking back and remembering what it felt like to be 0-3, players talk about that all the time. They say, you know, we lost three close games. We could lose three close games. We do not want to be there again. And I think that's one of the motivating factors. Yeah, it wasn't their best performance, but it was good enough to win. And I think a lot of the jubilation was because once that fourth and eight conversion was hit by Keenum and Emmanuel Sanders, what a great play. I think everybody thought, "Oh boy, this is it." You know, this is this is not good. It's Denver, so a long field goal is just as good as a short field goal. Although the play by Covington for the TFL to make it that a was big, attempt. big, yep. big, big. Yep, that was a big moment right there. And I, I just think that everyone sort of had enough moments to to soak in that, oh, this is probably a loss. No, it's not. He missed it. Fantastic. Six wins in a row. And they found a way to win. I mean, the formula is don't throw it that much. Run it as much as you can and play great defense. And also three consecutive games without a turnover for the first time in franchise history, which I found amazing. I mean, Omar from Texans PR told me that. And you know, I know a lot about the history of this team, obviously, but I did not know that they'd never gone three consecutive games without coughing the ball up. I thought that was huge. It was huge, and it's not going to happen a lot because it's just hard in this league. But I think in Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien is doing a really smart coaching job. I'm one of the te- the people that follow the team that go crazy when he constantly runs on first down for a yard or two. But as I wrote today, there's method to his madness, and that's because he's protecting Watson. He's exposing him so much less. He mentioned to us Monday that the Buffalo game, in which he got sacked seven times and knocked down 12 more, that is like something had to be done. In those first six games, 
They were three and three. Watson was throwing 36.1 passes. He'd been sacked 25 times, knocked down 65 more. At the time, they were rushing only 28 times for 109 yards. And in these last three games, they're 3-0. and Watson has eight touchdowns, no interception, of course. He's been sacked five times. Four of those were his fault. Coverage sacks, knocked down 10. And they're running 35 times a game for 142 yards. And he's throwing the ball. Uh, let's see, 15, 16 times, 15 times fewer. Yep. And they have, let me ask you this question. Do you know who's run the ball more than any team in the league 274 times? That's the Texans? Go to the head of the class. All right. So Bill does that to control the clock, you know, to help the offensive line. Uh-huh. I did the, the whole thing I wrote about today was with Mike Devlin because we got to talk to assistant coaches yesterday. But he talked about how Brian's play call is really helping them. Well, one of the reasons, they're running the ball a lot. They are passing less. And even though the tackles have improved, there's a lot of things that have helped. Remember the pre-snap penalties, how much they hurt them? Yep. Not an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. And and in the red zone, they would get penalties. Not an issue anymore. I think they have, what, eight touchdowns in the last two or three games in the red zone. They've gotten out of that 31st spot. So everything is working, and it starts, I think, with O'Brien's play calling. So the next time you want to pull your hair out because he runs on first down for two yards to Lamar Miller, Alfred Blue, think about why he's doing it and the results he's getting. It's kind of like the way they won games for a good portion of 2015 and 2016, except with a much better quarterback. You know, this is a guy who can make the plays for you, extend plays, and you know, it's Deshaun Watson back there instead of T.J. Yates, and we love T.J., or instead of Brock Osweiler. Maybe we don't love him so much, but you get my drift here. You have a much better quarterback playing with this formula, and when you need to throw it, if you are down, you know he can do it. You just don't want to have to have him do it because he still has that injury recovery thing going on. In the offseason, I think we were at the NFL meetings, and Mike Vrabel said at the AFC coaches' breakfast, we felt like that as long as Watson had the ball in his hands, we're capable of he's capable of making a play. Well, that that means as long as he's healthy, they're capable of winning any game. Mm-hmm. You know, Washington's the next opponent, and the Redskins just lost two starting guards for the season. Their left tackle Trent Williams was already out. Their right tackle Morgan Moses got hurt. He's out. They're going to go to Tampa with four new starters in their offensive line, and Fitz Fitzy almost pull that game out when he came when he played in place of Winston on Sunday and they lost, but the Redskins could lose two in a row and hosting the Texans with all kind of injuries up front. And that's another thing. Texans have had a lot of injuries, but it's not to Watt. It's not to Clowney and Watson and, and Merciless. And, and I'm not saying they're more important. They've overcome those injuries because they're a better team, but they're much more fortunate injury-wise this year than they were last year. Well, with Wolf Fuller out for the season, they make the trade for Demarius Thomas. We talked about it last week, but now that they have a game under their belt with them and they get a couple of weeks to get ready now, it's not like they're here in the building practicing all day long during the bye, but Thomas does have more chance, more of an opportunity to review the playbook and get on the same page with John Perry and Bill O'Brien. He's still got a lot going on. Yeah, He's got to find a place to live. He's got to get his car down here. Little things like that, but the little package that he had at Denver, which I thought was great to start it off and get him the ball. You know, that wide receiver, you throw that quick throw out there that doesn't work a lot. Mm-hmm. It worked with him. And one reason, he's big and strong and he can break tackles. And um, 
And I think it was just a preview of what he could do and why Brian Gain made that trade. And and uh, I'm really excited to watch Demarius Thomas down the stretch because he's never played with a receiver on the other side like Hopkins. So I think he's going to make a big contribution over the second half. And uh, I can't wait for the Washington game. I almost wish that game was Sunday. I think we all want to see Kiki QT get back because we've seen what he could do. Be a nice thing. And also Deontay Foreman eventually Who? maybe. Yeah, I know. But if you Don't could remember him. If you could get both those guys in the fray, oh my gosh. You know, now you have all these extra weapons and down the stretch, just never mind Foreman, because I know he's a separate issue. But getting Q T back from the hamstring, so to have Q T and Demarius Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins and the tight ends and whoever else you could throw out there, that's gonna be really good for this offense. Watching what Will Fuller has gone through in his career, getting hurt every year, Kiki has been hurt you know, except for a brief period, makes you appreciate the durability and reliability of DeAndre Hopkins mm. and Demarius Thomas, and which is one reason they, they wanted Thomas, because he has been durable. They know he's going to answer the bell every game. And and uh, if they could get QT back in the slot instead of having to play Tyler Irvin and Joe Webb and think how much more dangerous they'd be. And the guy I'm really fired up to see, although there's, it's too bad there's not two footballs and Watson was extras so they could throw to the tight ends more. Yeah. But seeing Jordan Thomas is there a guy that has – he's got a, almost a Vrabel touchdown-to-catch ratio. You know, he has yeah. he has a couple other – but I want to see more of him. Yep. Well, we all do. And I, I think you will, but you're right. There's only one football. It's tough to spread it around everywhere you want to go. It's just fun to watch right now them operate, them being able to run the football and Watson be able to do everything he can off of that. Can you imagine if they had Drew Brees and, and that offensive line and they were throwing as much as the Rams or the or the Patriots or the Chiefs, what these receivers and tight ends could do with Watson if they were throwing the ball like that? Well, they've got a defense, though, John, and that's the other thing. I mean, you have a defense that's climbing the charts here, and we've talked about it, how Romeo Cornell's defenses do better as the year goes on. Well, here they are doing better. And they hold the Broncos to 17 points in their building. And that's what you're looking at here. You're looking at a defense that's eighth in the league or, you know, top eight in scoring, top eight in yards. I think they're seventh in scoring, Third eighth in yards. Third in first down runs, which means that? they're putting teams in second and long. Mm-hmm. And um, they haven't given up more than two touchdowns in five games. They went 1-1-1-2-2. One, 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 two, two. And uh, so the defense is playing really well with all the corners being hurt. Now Jonathan Joseph will be back. Aaron Coleman will be back. Sharice Wright made that great play in the end zone to prevent a touchdown in Denver. And uh, and then the safeties are playing terrific. Kareem Jackson having the best season of his career. Um, I think the <laughs> the Saturday game against the Jets, that's not as attractive as it was when the Jets had won three in a row. But that's still a nationally televised game on a Saturday in December, plus the primetime game against Tennessee. So it's a good chance for Kareem Jackson to get a lot of well-deserved attention that he deserves for playing great. I've got a note on that upcoming Monday Night Football game in just a few moments. But one of the subtopics of the week with DeAndre Hopkins lighting up the world again is DeAndre Hopkins not versus Andre Johnson, but here you are as DeAndre Hopkins is maybe midway through his career, wherever he's at in his career, and then you look at how it's going versus what Andre Johnson did. 
And when people ask you to compare these two guys, how do you do it? Now, Andre's career is in the books, and it's phenomenal, and it's one of the best of all time. But here's Hopkins, and he's clearly one of the very best in the game right now, if not the best, and we could debate that from now until next Tuesday. We won't do it. But how do you answer that question, John? Uh, I do a mailbag for Texas Sports Nation. It's posted every Friday, and I get questions Thursday. If anybody wants to send questions to my email, john.mcclain at cron.com, which is on the bottom of all my stories. Last week I got one guy, why don't you just come out and admit it? Diop is the best receiver in franchise history. I said, because I can't. I said, he's played eight games in his sixth season. Andre played, what, 12 seasons here? Yep. I said, DeAndre, right now it's one and one A with 1A making a good move. But uh, I went back just to look at Andre's stats again. And he is – he people forget when he and Schaub were – they when Schaub was healthy, except for 2013, they were right behind Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne as the most prolific duo in the league. Yep. They were lighting it up. And uh, DeAndre, of course, until – now with Deshaun Watson hasn't had a legitimate, consistent quarterback. And I, it's amazing what DeAndre Hopkins should be able to accomplish over these next few years playing with Watson, especially if, if Fuller could ever stay on the field. He's 11 touchdowns in 11 games with Watson. And Hopkins has like 14 and 16 games with Watson, 15 and a half games. So uh, what those guys could possibly achieve, the three of them, if Fuller could just stay healthy, is phenomenal. You know, somebody was telling me or trying to tell me that Andre Johnson had a better quarterback situation than Hopkins has so far because Hopkins has had all the different quarterbacks and he finally has Watson. But Andre went through his first four years in the league with no matchup. Once he got matchup, he never had a touchdown catch from beyond, what was it, like 52 yards until he got Matt Schaub in here. In the very first game, they go 70-plus yards on a TD hookup. So clearly once Schaub got here, and Rosenfels, too, did a nice job with Andre Johnson. Uh, they, they were pretty prolific together when Rosenfels was in there. So they were able to put up a lot of numbers. It's You're right, it's still too early, as deep as we are in Hopkins' career, it's still too early to make that assessment. Andre was 6'3", 222, coming out of Miami, and he ran in four threes. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And he made some fabulous catches, but he didn't make the one-handed, left-handed, acrobatic catches that Hopkins make. Hopkins right up there with Odell Beckham Jr. And truth is, he's making more spectacular catches than anybody in the NFL right now. And that's why I, it's funny I say this, and I'm joking, of course. It's almost more fun to watch him have an incompletion than it is to watch one of the others have a completion. I wish they'd throw it to him every time. It's like when Michael Vick was a quarterback. I was bummed when he threw it. I want to see him run yep. every time because he was such an incredible runner. And with DeAndre, I just want to throw it to him 30 times a game and see how many he can catch one-handed. And I hate saying this because here we are in Houston, but I think as the Texans continue to play in these big primetime games and make the postseason a bunch with Deshaun Watson, let's hope Hopkins is going to get more recognition. But Odell Beckham in New York, and has he played at a playoff game yet? No. So Odell Beckham had that one amazing catch, and he's got a lot of great catches. He's a tremendous receiver. But playing in New York is such a big boost for your career. Yeah, I got a great doubt. question for yeah. you because I don't know the answer to this. All right. Uh, Jerry Rice was a great receiver. He had Joe Montana and Steve Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Marvin Harrison had Peyton Manning. Reggie Wayne had Peyton Manning. Antonio Brown has Ben Roethlisberger. Are these receivers great because of the quarterbacks? None of those quarterbacks were bad. All up, it's chicken and egg. Game. It's chicken and egg. I think they make each other great. What would no DeAndre doubt. Hopkins be and Andre Johnson be if they'd have played with Joe Montana and and it'd be uh, ridiculous if Andre Johnson played Tom with Tom Brady had had a receiver yeah. like that for his yeah. whole half ten years of his right. career. You give Tom Brady Andre Johnson or Peyton Manning Andre Johnson? Forget about it. I you, mean. That's why what they've accomplished to me is more impressive than what those other guys have accomplished. Mm-hmm. Plus, the teams they've played on have been better, so they've gotten more national TV appearances. Right. They've gotten more playoff game appearances. Of course, all the guys I mentioned been in a Super Bowl. That's why when Andre Johnson first made it to the playoffs in 2011 and caught a touchdown pass in that first playoff game, I was so relieved in a way. I just always wanted to see him do that on that stage. All right, the general stays with us. A note on the upcoming Monday Night Football game between the Texans and the Tennessee Titans. That's going to be the next game once the Texans get back to the bye. You're looking ahead. You need to stay focused. Uh, We're allowed to look ahead. After the Texans play the Redskins, we'll get to that in just a moment here. It's bye weekend, so we're just uh, batting around a few different topics. The Monday Nighter coming up that begins a three-game homestand will be against the Tennessee Titans. It's also the anniversary of Earl Campbell versus the Dolphins. That's it. It's the 40-year anniversary. 199 yards. 81-yard yeah. run into, into the fourth quarter. How about that? Is that is that the greatest Monday night performance you've seen live? Um, Monday night football voted that, I think, the greatest game of the first 25 years. And mainly it was a great game, but mainly because of Earl. Right. And that was Earl's rookie year, of course. And, and it was a spectacular performance. And, as Dan Pastorini said, that's really the birth of Love You Blue. Came out and had all the pom-poms and, and uh, the white pom-poms. And uh, Howard Cosell, Don Meredith just loved it and promoted it. And I, Earl's performance, and I saw Earl rush for over 200 yards multiple times. But that game in that setting, that performance to me, was the greatest I've seen in Houston history and one of the greatest in NFL history. What? I think the greatest – that I've ever seen was Brett Favre's performance against Oakland after his dad died. That Four was phenomenal. Passes. That was phenomenal. There but, have been some great comebacks, like Peyton Manning coming back against the – that was Monday Night Football, right, against the Buccaneers Chiefs that time? Chiefs coming back one time. I saw a Dolphins-Jets game in New York. Yep. It was a spectacular comeback. Mm-hmm. But none beat Brett Favre. I saw – Four touchdown passes right after Irv died. I saw a game, I want to say it was 83, the charge, when I loved the Chargers and Air Coriel, Dan Fouts against Kenny Anderson, and I think it was 50-36 to 36 or something like that, the Chargers won it. And it was a, an outrageous game. It smashed every record. I mean, you didn't see scores like that back then. And that was another great one. There have been so many great ones. Of course, Monday night doesn't have the luster that it used to because no. it used to be on over-the-air TV. Now it's the Sunday night game that has the over-air TV uh, luster and all of that. All right, but next up for the Texans, the Washington Redskins, you mentioned it. They're playing banged up on the offensive line. They'll be at Tampa Bay this week. But it's a rare trip to the nation's capital and only the third time in franchise history, and I personally hate that stadium. I remember the, the last one. The booth is in the corner. I can't stand it. But that game was amazing in 2010 that went into overtime with Shaw versus Donovan McNabb. Andre Johnson, incredible t- catch in the back of the end zone. Yep. That that was amazing. That was unforgettable, really. So here we got. Here we go. They're going to go out there again. And you know, for those who are trying to weigh how difficult the schedule is down the stretch for the Texans, John, I think it's important to point out. You never know what these games are going to turn into. 
I always go back to 2012 when the Texans took on the Jaguars and the Texans were rolling at that time, having their greatest season ever, and the Jaguars were terrible. But Chad Henney lights up the Texans. They're down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, have to go deep into overtime to win it. Things like that happen in the NFL all the time. Let me ask this question to anybody listening who's complaining about not winning pretty. A guy called us on 6'10 this week, said he'd rather see them lose pretty than win ugly. And I said, what? That's one of the dumbest things Dumb. I've ever heard. Denver has lost pretty. They lost by three to Kansas City, <laughs> lost by seven to Kansas City, lost by four to the Rams. Both games were in the 20s, those three games. Would you rather see the Texans lose games like that or win in 1917 over Denver? I think I know the answer to any any to that question from anybody that really cares about a team, especially after those three start. I've never thought this is a Super Bowl team. I told them the other day on six ten, I said, guys, it's not nobody's predicting this team to go to the Super Bowl. Why would you think they go out there and blow people out? They need another off season. They got areas that need to be rebuilt and added to. And so uh I think it's an incredible accomplishment to if you win the division, if you win another playoff game, which they've done and uh, then next year, you know, next year you have Brian Gain, and I believe based on the moves we've seen Gain make, especially the draft yep. uh, and the trade for Demarius Thomas, I th- I've got a lot of confidence mm-hmm. in him and Bill O'Brien, what they're going to do in the offseason in the draft and free agency and re-signing their players. So it just it just irks me that people complain. I got emails. I get my mailbag for Friday with people who don't like O'Brien's play call and they don't like the close wins. And I look down and I want to say, <laughs> you know they've won six games in a row. Yeah. Well, a few things about what you just said. Brian Gain, first of all, it's not just the draft, which looks like a really good class right now. You want to see more out of Rankin, but it's his first year. And all right, they're, they're getting by without him being in the lineup. He's that extra O-lineman right now. But when you look at Justin Reed, when He's you look playing at the, like Tom, a first rounder. Yeah, the the Jordans, I was about to say the Thomases, but the Jordans. And, uh, you know, I just like what I see out of this class, Callum Bay and Duke Edgeford and all those people. And QT when, he, QT oh, when yeah. he's on the field. Yeah, they got to get him on the field, but when he's been on there, he's been good. The other thing is this, the pickups, and Rick Smith was pretty good at this as well, but Brian Gain looks very adept at being able to go to the street, get guys to come in. Look at the special teams plays they're getting. A.J. Moore the other game, the other day making some big hits in that game. Uh, you look at Buddy Howell making a big hit in that game on special teams. These special teamers weren't around here in camp, yet they're really making this team better. They're finding guys that fit, and then they're coaching them up. Yeah, I think this is a really good coaching staff. I think the addition of, of John Pagano coaching outside linebackers, mm-hmm. long-time uh, defensive coordinator, I thought that was a really good move. I thought uh, – Keeping Anthony Midget, who'd been the number two secondary coach for four years, I think he's doing a terrific job. Yeah, and you never knew how that was going to go. You I mean, he's knew. been on the staff, but now he's the head coach of that position group. And bringing in Brad Seeley, take over special teams, and he does yeah. a lot of things to help build beyond special teams because he's been in the league 30 years, and he's really knowledgeable. That was a tremendous move, and and hanging on to some guys. Wes Welker, Denver wanted to hire Welker, and they wouldn't let him go. You think Wes isn't happy he stayed here yeah. instead of uh, going to Denver? And there's, uh, I just, I think that's a really good coaching staff, and one of the reasons they've been able to do what they are is because of that. And when you're bringing in new players, if you don't coach them up, it doesn't matter how well they fit your system, and they're coaching them up. 
All right, John, when you like look at – Like Josh Kyes, that's a good example right there. Oh, yeah. Coming in for a Thursday game and then making a couple of big plays, that's a credit to him and it's a credit to them. I thought in the preseason it looked pretty good. I thought he was a bubble player to make the 53-man roster. My 53-man roster that had a Dick Vitale like 60 players on it. Anyway, the Colts and the Jags will get together this weekend. Now, the AFC South, the Texans have a little padding there. But that could erode very quickly if you lose a game and the Colts continue to stay hot or the Jags get hot or the Titans, who had this sort of interesting performance against the Cowboys. We'll get to that in a moment if they find a way against the Patriots. But let's start with the Colts here, John, because they are basically on fire here. you got to call it what it is. I mean, they're starting to play very well offensively. Luck is lighting it up in passing yards. They're protecting him. He looks great. And it looks like the Colts have found themselves. Remember when he was throwing all those record-breaking numbers of passes early? You know what? They've run for over 200 yards in the last two games. They're averaging 39.6 points. He's only been sacked 10 times this season because they rebuilt their offensive line with two rookies and one veterans and shows you it can be done in the draft. And I think Indianapolis is the second-best team in the league. Because of luck, because the of the running division, game. Division, you mean? Then division, yes, mm-hmm. yes. I think they're gonna their schedule doesn't look all that tough. I think ultimately it's going to be a three-team race, and Jacksonville is not going to be in it. They're about to lose their fifth consecutive game. All right, so you think the Titans are still alive here, but the Colts, how about this? Not to bog anybody down with numbers, which means I'm about to bog you down with numbers. They're sixth in the league in points scored. They're tenth in yardage. Okay, but they're climbing those charts, right? And luck is unbelievable with the passing yardage, I believe, second. Defensively, they're still down the line a little bit in their statistics, but we'll see how they do. Now, do you pick the Colts to beat the Jags this weekend? Yes. Will you do it? I take. I definitely take the Colts to beat the Jags. All right. One team's going in one direction, and the other team's going in another direction. All right, so you think the Jags are done. Now, what about the Titans here? And we can always get back to the Colts they if got to play who? The New England Patriots at home. Well, if they, now, if they were to beat New England, Oh my gosh. Like Jacksonville beat New England early mm-hmm. in Jacksonville, but I just it's I don't think the Patriots are gonna win out. The Patriots are averaging thirty six points during their winning streak. Tennessee is allowing the fewest uh points a game. Yeah. They're the best in the red zone, so it's gonna be a really good test for the Patriots. It's gonna be a lot of Patriot fans in Nashville at that game. And I think, of course, the Patriots. I don't ever pick against the Patriots. I think they'll win that game. That'll be good for the Texans. Then you'll have Indianapolis and Tennessee tied for second. Uh, Right now the lead's one and a half games, so it'd be one game. Well, you have all three division opponents coming to NRG Stadium. Tennessee on Monday Night Football, like we said. And the Colts are going to come in here. It's going to be another utter shootout. You can ill afford to have that game, if it's a loss, be one where the Colts draw even with you. you got to find a way to make that game, I hate to say not mean anything, but not mean as much as it possibly could if you lose Let it. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. I have, I'm doing a story on page 1A of the Chronicle for Sunday. Right. And I have got, I'm going to start off with what was the turning point from the 03 start, from being an 03 loser to a 6-3 and three division leader. What oh, I've you, got it for you. I, I bet we're thinking the same thing. Go ahead. Fumble recovery in the end zone in Indianapolis. Well, I was going to say Frank Reich's decision, but it was Indianapolis. I, I, I don't think it was Frank Reich's decision. I think that that – now, let's say Reich – I mean, that's, I thought the decision actually was a pretty good one. I was really 
not convinced, didn't but I was like really the play call. I, was, I mean, didn't like the, the who they threw it to. I well, no, I just a backup uh, receiver. Look, Andrew Luck. Well, what did they have on the field that day? Hilton was out of the game at that point. Right. I mean, everybody was a reserve at that point. All the more reason not to do it. Well, but they were so hot because the the sack by Clowney, the Snow Angel sack, made it third and really long. And then they got a big chunk play to make it fourth and four. And I'm thinking, they're going to hit this. And this is not going to be good. I th- That was one of those plays, calling it, I was like, oh, here we go. Luck is just going to kill us. And Joseph makes the great play because all of a sudden he snapped into press coverage on Chester Rogers as opposed to giving him a, any kind of cushion. And I think that made all the difference right there. Big play by J. Joe. That, that was a big turning point right there. I, I, ha- I got you. And I don't know if it's the decision so much as – the execution, or you can call Jay it J. Joe made a great play. But, and I appreciate your input, but for historical purposes. Uh, it'll Frank, always go down as Reich's What decision. Frank Reich uh, <laughs> meant to this city for so long, mm-hmm. he is the villain in this one. How about Dallas and the Jason Garrett punt That's, instead of running it with Zeke? But by then, they'd already won a game. I'm just looking for one thing, a and I'm saying point. it's Frank Reich's decision. Because they could have lost that game. Think about this. Those first three wins were all so close. Look, the losses were close, too. I mean, you have to call it like it is. People who complain about those wins being too close and they got lucky. Look, Tennessee, they're at midfield and they run out the clock trying to get it into field goal range. I mean, that was kind of a ridiculous play. but Or, you know, it just didn't work out. He didn't have any receivers to throw to. Whatever happened, happened. The point is this. You had a situation where you could have easily gotten into field goal range and tied that game up, and who knows what happens at that point. That's by far the worst loss. You know, Eli Manning played great in that game, so it's it's okay. Oh, the Giants. But the Titans game with the guys who were out, the fake punt touchdown, that if they end up losing something by one game, that's, like that's going to be one. That one is going to haunt him for well, the rest of the I, season. I, I think the Giants, too, even though – But you he, don't, but Eli played great. Yeah, he, he did, and I'm not going to go back to individual plays, but to me, once they score to make it a one-score game and they need the ball back, but the Giants go on a 75-yard touchdown drive and put it out of reach. To me, you needed a stop right there. Well, of and, and I can't remember all the plays along the way in that drive, but I know there were probably several where you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, he did it to us again. And – They've won six in a row now since losing that Giants game. So they'll play Washington next, followed by Tennessee. Let's continue to go around the league here with John McClain while we have him. Now, you're right. The Titans, 17 and a half points per game. They lead the NFL in scoring defense. Well, that's wow. about to change. Yeah. What about Panthers and Steelers? Great Thursday night game. After those stinkeroos were getting like the stinkeroo coming up with the Giants and the Niners. But this hey, we got one, a good one two weeks ago with the Texans. We had and a Dolphins. great one, but I'm talking about yeah, that was a that was a good. That's one. good but for Houston. Carolina has been a very vastly underrated team. As great as New Orleans is playing, hadn't lost since the first game. Panthers are only one game back, and yeah. they still play each other twice in the last three games, That's I believe. Huge. Cam Newton is playing better than any time in his career, including when he's the MVP in 2015, because Norv Turner, when it comes to picking an assistant coach of the year. Norv Turner's got to get serious consideration. Came out of one-year retirement or whatever happened and gets hired there. Newton is ter- terrific. Pittsburgh goes on a roll. Mm-hmm. No way. I, I don't ever pick against Pittsburgh at home, and I'm not picking against them on Thursday night. Hey, uh, I'm just looking ahead here like I do like on occasion. Like you're not supposed like to. Like I'm not supposed to. That Week 16 game, the Texans and the Philadelphia Eagles – 
The Chiefs are playing the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football. I wonder if that sticks or if they flex out of that. What are the games they got? I, you know, I gotta, I gotta look at that. Week well, first of all, schedule. they love the Eagles. They mm-hmm. love, and the Eagles probably are going to get hot. The right. Eagles are probably going to get on a roll here, so there'd be a good chance that could happen. Yeah, you never know. Now we know the last one going at the start of the year. We look, whoa, that Texans Jaguars game could get flexed. I'm looking at Steelers at Saints, but that's a CBS 4:25 game. I don't know if they can flex that to a Sunday night. That might be a protected game. So we'll see. I'm just wondering if that Texans Eagles game gets flexed or not. I mean, I'm looking around here at the other games that are available, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, the only reason I say that, because, you know, it's kind of flattering to be flexed into the primetime game, but it's just for personal reasons because I don't want to get back at 6 in the morning. Yeah, anyway, well, I'm there anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> it doesn't matter to you. You'll be in Philadelphia overnight. All right, as far as other games this weekend, General, anything else catching your fancy? Well, you'll have to ask me because I'm – Okay. Uh, let me give you this. Saints at Bengals. Bengals are still very much alive in that AFC North. They are. They're right behind the Steelers. Saints, they're going to lose at some point. They're coming off this great victory over the Rams. Could they have a letdown? They could, but I'm not picking to lose. They've won at Minnesota. They won at Baltimore. So I'm going with the Saints. Okay. Are the Dolphins I – mean, we just saw them here. They're 5-4, and four, though. They're a winning team, and they're going to be at Green Bay. You're talking about Bay. winning ugly over the Jets. Yep. Yeah, four interceptions. It's ugly. It's Pac- ugly. Can you believe at the midway point the Packers have a losing record? Yeah, I think they're going to bounce back to get well at home. Game. Get well yes. game. Yeah, uh, Cowboys at the Eagles. Are the Cowboys done? And is Garrett going to get fired? I don't think he'll get fired during this season. But that's what Jerry Jones said in 2010 when he dumped Wade Phillips during this season, which led to Wade coming here as defensive coordinator. Um, I'm taking the Eagles. Does. Harbaugh, John Harbaugh loses job. If he does, he'll get a job before sundown. Yeah. They've got would Ozzy Newsome do this? Would Stephen Biscotti, the owner, make him fire Harbaugh since he's retiring after the season or wait and let Eric DaCosta, the new longtime personnel director who's turned down multiple chances to be general manager somewhere else for just this opportunity? I can't imagine they would fire Harbaugh during the season. Not during the season. After the season, and then he gets the Browns job. The That's shelf the big life rumor. runs out on everybody. And I think the Browns, though, are looking more for an offensive guy who will put a college-type offense in there and that the Haslam's will offer Lincoln Riley a blank check. Are you picking the Redskins over the Buccaneers this weekend? Or no, no, I'm picking the Buccaneers because they're at home. They just scored like 30, 28, 30 points with Fitzy. I think he's going to work some Fitz magic on him. John, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mark. Before we get to Houston Methodist Minutes, and tonight's a sore subject. Isn't it always a sore subject with Houston Methodist Minutes groin injuries? But before we get to that, Bill O'Brien, every week on his show, we ask him the extra question presented by Amogee Bank of Texas. Something off-field, might be football-related, might be youth football-related. In this case, it is. We go the best of here with a couple of these. The helmet rule and how you teach football to kids these days how is it different we asked this of the head coach recently i think that we all have to uh, all of us at every level have to do a really good job of of educating parents on how we're teaching proper techniques in football because i think that's going to be the big thing relative to our game over the next you know 30 to 40 years you know where this game's going and uh, with all the studies that are being done on CTE and all that, look, that those things are real, and we have to understand that, and we've got to go into the communities to the best of our ability. We try to do things in the off season around here to uh, to help promote what we're trying to do, what we're teaching at our level, 
but I know that in Texas, especially where I live in Houston, the coaching is really good at the mm-hmm. youth level, like really good. These guys, I've seen them coach, see how they do things, teaching the proper technique of, you know, head up, shoulders, not, not leading with your head, not leading with the top of your head, and teaching them the right techniques, playing with your hands, things like that. So uh, I think we're headed down the right road. We just need to continue that because football is a great sport, and uh, participation in football in some areas is down. Not really in Texas, but I think <laughs> in some areas of the country is down, and we, we, we've got to keep – keep football alive for a long time because football is a great sport. It should be easier for these kids to play with that style versus guys who grew up with another way of playing, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a great point. I mean, I think these kids are seeing how things are being officiated. Uh, I think the NFL does a really good job of, of sending out videos on what, what we're doing relative to how we're calling things. And, uh, you know, I know that the, the different teams with their their in, in-house media people are showing some things on their, their websites too. So I know that everybody's trying to educate the public on, on how we're doing things. Before we get to the next Bill O'Brien Lanyap question, you want to bring a little Texans football to the classroom? Sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Let's learn more from Bill O'Brien. This extra question came in a recent show about Bill O'Brien's biggest rival in high school. Who was that? Zavarian. Zavarian. Yep, Zavarian High School in Westwood, Massachusetts. The Hasselbecks. So when I went, when I was coaching in, for the Patriots, I lived right down the street from Zavarian, which was weird. But uh, yeah, the Hasselbecks. I mean, they, there's been a lot of great players at Zavarian. Um, and uh, there was a guy, Greg Camella, that played at Stanford, and those, the Hasselbecks. And I mean, there's a bunch of bunch of good guys that have played there. And uh, we always we usually played late in the year, not on Thanksgiving. I think they play on Thanksgiving now. And uh, it was it was it was pretty pretty, bitter, pretty special that kind of thing. Yeah, bitter because a lot of our teachers used to teach there and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So because there was a connection with the school. Now our school was in Danvers, theirs was down in Westwood, so there was a distance there. But there was a lot of carryover. So from, oh, especially with the faculty, the a coaches. lot of the players even here will say high school football. There's nothing like it. The memories. What what is it about high school football that's so special to a player? I just think it's uh, one game a week with guys that you know you're going to school with, and then you're going to battle with, and um, you know the the coaches are emotional. There's a lot of emotion in high school football. That's pretty cool. The crowds, especially here in Texas. But Friday night high school football, I mean, you can't beat the crowd. The town shuts down. Everybody goes to the game. It's pretty cool. The buildup of the game during the week, you know, mm-hmm. wearing your jersey to school on Friday or whatever or Thursday or whatever yeah. it is, you know, that's that's pretty cool. A couple of Lanyap questions. The extra questions we ask, presented by Amogee Bank, in the Bill O'Brien Show's recent episodes right there. And little-known personal fact there, that's where I began my broadcast career in those southern suburbs of Boston, so some of the towns and schools he's mentioning are schools I'm very familiar with and I tell the story sometimes about me broadcasting games in a car on a hill into a tape recorder and then putting it on the air the next day yes that did happen actually come a long way and very happy about that and very happy to bring you Houston Methodist minutes this week with Dr. Michael Hopson of Houston Methodist Baytown Hospital doctor how's it going it's going very well thank you all right, let's talk about groin injuries as these vary in grades. And how do these work, doctor? How do you evaluate groin injuries? Yeah, groin injuries can be very difficult. They're obviously very common in the athlete and can have all types of gradations and severity. 
So initially, uh, groin injuries are evaluated with an exam. Uh, most frequently, they're due to a muscle strain or something uh, that can be uh, cared for and treated with some rehabilitation and things like that. But they can be as severe as um, things called stress fractures in the groin, uh, which need to be evaluated by a professional. So um, they require a significant, uh, you know, a, an initial evaluation, but um, they're very common and usually are nothing to worry about. Now, there are several muscles involved, right? It's not just one groin muscle. How does all that operate? That's correct. Yeah, the groin is in the hip region, obviously, and there's just a lot of different muscles in that area that need to be considered. But mostly a classic, quote, groin pull is due to um, uh, the adductor longus muscle, it's called. The treatment. You mentioned there are stress fractures sometimes, and I know that there's surgery sometimes, but usually what does it take to treat a groin muscle injury? Yeah, usually the groin muscle injuries are treated with some a stretching program, a rehabilitation program, some activity modification, and then sort of a, a general slow progression and return to activity. Um, when you're talking about more severe injuries like stress fractures, those can sometimes require surgery and are kind of on the whole other side of the spectrum. But in the classic groin sprain, sprain those are usually mostly treated with a stretching program and a rehab program. If you're trying to recover from other injuries like knee or hamstring or whatever, are you more susceptible to a groin injury? Absolutely, yep. I, I consider the hip to the toe all kind of connected and intertwined. And so it's really important when you're rehabbing an injury the knee to not forget about the hip and not forget about the ankle and calf and all those other things and to really do a good stretching program on all those uh, areas as well, absolutely. Great info, doctor. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Dr. Michael Hobson from Houston Methodist Baytown Hospital. For the fall sports season, Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine offers its convenient sports injury clinics for athletes around the Houston area to help them recover from injuries. Clinics are held Saturday mornings in Baytown, Clear Lake, West Houston, Katy, Sugarland, and Willowbrook. For more information, log on to HoustonMethodist.org slash athlete, the official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. Well, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Thanks to all for listening. Thank you, General, for participating. We've got Texans All Access for you tomorrow at 6. And all our shows this weekend, despite the bye, so check them out. Texans Extra Points, ABC 13, 630 on Saturday. Texans Buzz, 11 p.m. on Saturday night or after the late news. And Texans Game Day on KPRC Local 2, 830 a.m. on Sunday. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans!